Good morning, friends. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. Those of us in the room here, those of us who are gathered together as a church family online, I'm Fitz Connor, one of the pastors here, and we want you to be a part of our mission at First Presbyterian Church. Experience for the next few minutes as well as live this life out together with us. Our mission is simple. It's this. We want to be a place where people can discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we want to be in our families, in our neighborhoods, in the city, in the whole world. So let's do that for the next 60 minutes as well as the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. I want to remind you of a couple of things. We would love, if you've never done so before, we would love to have you go online and connect with us. We have a connect card. You can access it even through a QR code. And what that means is this. You tell us who you are, a little bit of information, and we'll help you connect. We'll help you find a way to get involved, to serve, to connect with other people. We can also pray for you if you let us know there's something in your life you'd like us to be aware of. So please do that. Take the time to go do that. And we'd also like you to do this. 
If you're watching on Facebook, if you would share on Facebook right now, those of you who are online, those of you in the room, share on Facebook. That way your friends who may not be connected to us might be invited into this great mission of discovering and deepening with Jesus. I'm going to stop now and pray, and I just want you to know something. I'm going to pray in the way we normally do, but I'm also going to pray for our country. I feel as a follower of Jesus, I feel as a leader, I feel as a member of this great realm we live in the United States. I've just been rumbling inside of me in a great way that I, I want to pray. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray a little bit longer this morning. just want you to know that I'm all loaded up and nice and patriotic. And so that's, that's a part of how it, it's going to go. So I, you're going to hear my heart and my mind. And I'm doing my best to try to help all of us think as people who are followers of the king on how it is that we need to be thinking about our realm that we live in. So allow me to pray for things that are part of our family as well for our country and our whole world. Please pray with me. Gracious God, in our family, we celebrate right now the birth of Tatum Levy, born this week to Grant and Cassie Levy. And we also give you thanks for Callum Martin, born last night to Lindsay and Cam Martin welcoming into our family these two little babies who are going to be loved by their families and by this church family. We also always stop and we pray as the ribbons here on the rail reflect. We pray for our dear friend Jackie Faircloth. We hope that last Wednesday, November 4th, her 24th birthday, we hope that the cards that we sent encouraged her heart, her mind, her soul, encouraged her family, her mom or dad or brother, all of her aunts and uncles and cousins. Gracious God, when we think about what's been going on in our country in the last weeks and months and we realize that this Wednesday is Veterans Day, we're grateful that men and women serve and they're willing to sacrifice so that we can enjoy this great republic we live in, a republic for which any one of us and each one of us would give our lives because we believe in freedom. And we believe that freedom is a part of what it means to be made in your image. And so, gracious God, I pause now on behalf of all of us, thinking and praying for us and with us about what it means to be people who are citizens of this country. And we've been fighting with each other, and it's been hard, and most of us are really tired of it. And at the same time, we feel so strongly about the positions and the people. And somehow, gracious God, help each of us as Jesus followers to move up and to think through things from the perspective of your kingdom. Help us to think through all of this from the perspective of how it would be to look at all these issues from the biblical view, the kingdom of God. When we pray, thy will be done, gracious God, we mean it even politically. We know that this stuff matters to you. We know that around the globe, lots and lots of different ways that human beings organize in their realms. And you require us to pray for kings and princes and those in authority. And so we do that now. And it's not a discounting of our deep, passionate thinking about the issues. But at the same time, God, we must rise up to be kingdom people. Help us to be Republicans or Democrats or independents, but to be kingdom independent on top of all of that. So gracious God, in these next few minutes, as we worship and sing, help us to turn our hearts towards you. Help us to decide to follow you. Help us, gracious God, with music, with prayer, with the words that we're going to hear about your great sacrifice you've given for us. Help us to be people who leap into your presence, eager to be members of the kingdom of God. All this in the name of Jesus about whom we sing right now. Amen. Good morning, First Pres. Let's stand and worship this morning.
Friends, this morning we have the unbelievable privilege of celebrating the baptism of Little Miss Ruby Lou Roll this morning, and I, it is a sign of God's goodness to us all. And so I want to invite Ruby's mom and dad, Bree and Billy, to come forward, bringing sweet little Ruby Lou, along with her godparents, Summer. Is she like Ken to Cindy Lou Who? <laughs> but this is Summer and Eddie Matthews. And I also just want to welcome all the grandparents and the great-grandparents and aunts and uncles, Deborah and Ed Junta, Hope and Bill Roll, all of you. We are so thankful you're here to celebrate this amazing moment with us. So what's happening is mountains are being moved. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. You've done it before. You'll do it again. That's what's going to happen in this family, in this little girl's life, as she makes her way to the point where she makes a statement of faith for herself. And what we're doing here is baptizing her into the family of faith. But we also know that you and I are going to function as the spiritual parents, godparents, if you will. And what we're going to do is everything we can as a family of faith to help her get to the place where she says, I have decided to follow Jesus, and she does that for herself. That's the magnificent spiritual reality that's going on. We are started in faith as a little girl, or mom and dad, and we love her, and she's gonna end up having the chance, like all of us, to, to say, I wanna do this for myself. So we, as a family of faith, are in a moment gonna commit to doing just that, to help her and her family get her to the point of saying, this is mine for me. Mm. So, Bree and Billy, as you bring little Ruby for baptism this morning, do you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if so, say we do. Will you promise to teach her about Jesus? Will you read scripture to her, pray with her, and help her learn what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and how to serve him and love him back? If so, say we will with God's help. And will all of you, the members of the Church of Christ and of First Presbyterian Church, both online and present here in the sanctuary this morning, will you make promises to pray for Billy and pray for Bree as they raise little Ruby so that, as Fitz said, one day she will be able to say that Jesus Christ is her Lord and Savior? If so, say we will. We will. And those of you online, you can say it too. Just put it in the chat line. We will. Take her. Little one. Come here, sweet girl. That's a cute kid. I'm just telling yes. you right now. That is a very, very cute kid. Yes. You, oh, boy, this is going to be fun. You ready? Yeah. Ruby Lou Roll, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, but amen. And you know what? Can we walk around for a minute? Because look what God has done, y'all. Look what God has done. And what we want is for you to be the loving arms of Jesus in her life so that the blessing and the mystery of Jesus' love for her will sink into her life, but also, y'all, into our lives as well. If all of God's people will say, Amen. There we go. Sweet thing. There she goes. 
Congratulations. Congratulations. Congratulations, y'all. As we wait and participate in, in God moving mountains in the life of this little girl and in all of us, just a few things. We call them First Press Happenings. We want to make sure you know what's coming next. We are finishing today our sermon series, Nine Sundays on Your Mark. You're going to hear about Jesus' crucifixion. We're starting next week a series of two sermons about how we can have generational impact in our lives and how we live. And it's going to be fun to do, and I can't wait to get up here and talk with you next week about that. Secondly, for this, I want you to hear what I'm about to say because you're going to get a text message this afternoon at 6 p.m., and it's going to ask you a simple question. You can read it here. Are you coming in person on Christmas Eve? It's really simple. If the answer is yes, you hit a one. If the answer is no, you hit a two. And we're doing this so we can make sure we have enough room, enough services to make sure we're planned out accordingly to provide for the number of people who are coming. So let us know when the poll that's coming today at 6 o'clock. Are you coming? Vote one for yes, vote two for no. And that's, it's just going to be that simple, 6 o'clock. A third thing that's happening that you need to be aware of is a celebration of leadership and a chance to meet again as Presbyterians and have a vote. This Tuesday night at 7.07 p.m. by way of Zoom, and you will receive the Zoom links a couple of different ways between now and Tuesday night at 7.07. And what we're doing is this. We're hearing from the Elder Nominating Committee, and they're nominating for you a slate of four elders to serve as the Elder Class of 2023. And the way we work is we, we elect a committee, the committee does the research, the research gets presented, so a slate of four are going to be nominated to you. I want you to know this is really a great celebration because we have this in the queue, in the pipeline, all these really talented people who have been serving and want to serve and who it appears to those of us who are watching leadership come up that they've been called by God. And you have given us a few suggestions, and believe me, this is just a great celebration. So we're going to do that Tuesday night by way of Zoom. And I just want you to know it's going to be a short meeting and also be fun. You'll get to see all kinds of people you haven't seen much. So please respond. Join us at 7 o'clock, 7.07 officially on Tuesday night. It'll be a brief meeting and we'll say hello to each other, we'll have the vote, and then we'll move on and, and adjourn the meeting. So thank you very much for that. The last thing I want to say is this. It's about how we give back to God. We give of our time, and we give of our skills and our aptitudes and our abilities. We serve. But also, you and I have been giving faithfully with our money. And one of the things that happens is we continue to be able to be healthy as a church financially. And we are. You'll hear a little more about that next week and the week after the week after. But I just want to say to you, thank you, along with me, for being a partner financially in the mission and ministry of loving people so that they can discover and deepen their relationship with Jesus. That's what this is all about. You'll find five ways. We, we show you these ways. These are ways that make it easy. This is what I think. I think you want to be generous. I think you want to make things happen in your neighborhood through this loving body of people. And so here's how we can do it together. Thank you for being partners in generosity to help make God's good news available to more and more people. Earlier this week, I had the opportunity to participate in an online interview and listen to church leaders all over the country discussing the state of our nation as well as church culture. And someone said this, Christianity 
is where people with no common interests come together other than Jesus. And that is so true. We all come together from different walks of life, different economic statuses. We come with different opinions. But because we made that decision to believe in Christ and what he did is what brings us together. It's what makes us a family. So I ask, with you, uh, ask you to stand with me as we sing the beautiful name of Jesus and what he did. is 
Thanks, guys, that was incredible. I want you to know when Constantine reigned, and that was like around A.D. 307 to 337, he proclaimed Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire. And when he did that, he directed his mother, Queen Helena, to build a church on the site that most people believed was the place of Jesus' death and resurrection. It is now called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Sepulchre meaning tomb. And I visited that church last year when I led a group of people to visit the Holy Land. But I've got to tell you, it was very disconcerting because over time, Six different Christian denominations have claimed that site as their own. Now, you've heard of some of these groups, some of these churches. It's the Roman Catholics, the Greek Orthodox, but now some of them you haven't heard of. The Coptics, the Assyrians, the Armenians, and then the Ethiopian church. Now, get this. They made an agreement 
to give each of the six Christian denominations control over specific spaces inside the church. I kid you not, it's like this. It's as if the Coptics are in charge of this side of the sanctuary, and the Armenians have this side, then you have the Greek Orthodox back there in that area past the double doors. Maybe the Roman Catholics have this section right here. And then you have the Assyrians running down the side here, what we call the arcade, where we used to have bagels, juice, and coffee, need I remind you. And then the Ethiopians had the roof. I mean, it was crazy. And violations as petty as who got to clean what, where, and at what time created these huge flare-ups that were full of anger and vitriol. Yeah. And just a few years ago, tensions mounted so high to such a fever pitch between the Coptic and the Ethiopian priests, monks, and nuns that they broke out into a full-on fist fight as priests accused each other of violating the agreement as to who governed the roof. It was nuts. Monks started throwing rocks and iron bars at each other. And eventually, the Israeli police had to be called in in order to restore order. Eleven monks had to go to a nearby hospital to be treated. Well, as I stood inside the church of the Holy Sepulchre, it was obvious. I could see evidence everywhere of the division, the pettiness, the self-righteousness, the sinfulness of fighting over the sight of the cross. But why would I expect anything different? Isn't it a reflection of my own heart? The day that Jesus was crucified exposed the very same division, pettiness, self-righteousness, and sinfulness in us all, but also in the people who were fighting at the scene of the cross and those who were fighting because of the cross, which makes the cross the perfect place for the mighty Messiah to demonstrate his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross in all of its awfulness is beautiful because it's the place where the three themes merge that we have been talking about in these last few weeks. At the cross, the mighty Messiah rescues us. At the cross, the kingdom celebrates Jesus, the king's victory over sin and death. At the cross, daring disciples are born. And at the cross, Jesus' words spoken just days before he was even arrested, words that we have been learning together as a church were fulfilled in these words in Mark 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. All of it fulfilled at the cross. 
you know what? It's also the place where we're confronted with bizarre events as Mark relates them to us in a very short version of the cross and what happened. Each step is more curious than the last. So let's follow Jesus to the very site where he rescues us. And it's found in Mark chapter 15, in the opening verses, beginning in verse 21. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene. Now, Cyrene, you've never heard of. But Cyrene is in North Africa. He's come a long way. So a passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, North Africa, was coming in from the countryside just then. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Well, thank you, Mark. That's, that's great to know. We really don't even hardly know who they are. But later on, a guy named Rufus is mentioned as a follower of Jesus. So they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. Jesus was exhausted because he had been beaten to within an inch of his life as he carried the cross on this road. It is the likely route from the soldiers' barracks to Golgotha, which, as I've said, means place of the skull. The very name itself gives you a hint of the brutalities that took place on that hilltop. And there is no doubt that Jesus could hear the screams and the agony of the other prisoners who are called revolutionaries, rebels of Rome, who would eventually be hanging on Jesus' right and left as the Romans crucified them. This looks like the end of the road for Jesus. As the soldiers seize him, while laughing at him as they strip him of his clothes, throw them into a heap on the ground, and toss dice to see who's going to get what later on. Jesus stands there in naked silence, his battered body utterly exposed for all of Jerusalem to see. Even the most fundamental aspect of human dignity has been taken from him. Despite the paintings and the carvings and the pictures that we've seen of Jesus hanging on the cross, depicting modestly linens hanging across him, people were in fact crucified naked. With nothing of this earth in his possession other than the most precious thing of all, his life, he lays it down freely. Let's continue our story. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. 
a sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now! They yelled it at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't even save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. Oh, but that is not what he was doing. He was not calling out for Elijah. Because when Jesus loudly called out and said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He was quoting the very first lines of Psalm 22, reminding everyone standing there of a psalm that they would have known by heart since they were children as good Jews. It would have been a psalm they would have memorized because that's how they did it. They all learned scripture. They didn't have it written down. No one said, now everyone, open to Psalm 22. In fact, when a teacher said the first lines of a psalm or any scripture, it was a cue for everyone else to join in because they knew it. Jesus was purposefully trying to invite them into the words of this psalm, the whole psalm. He wanted them to think about every word in the psalm, not just the opening words of this psalm. Well, why Psalm 22? Because Psalm 22 was written by King David some 900 years before this moment, before Jesus was crucified. And yet, Psalm 22 foretells many of the details that Jesus is enduring on the cross. So what I want you all to do right now is listen and watch as I show you a video of some of the words from Psalm 22. And what I want you to watch for is to see if these words align with what is happening to Jesus in real time on the cross. Because that's what he was trying to get them to do. Many of the details that Jesus is enduring on the cross. So what I want you all to do right now is listen and watch as 
Psalm 22 is a prophetic picture of what the Messiah must suffer in order to rescue us from sin and death and darkness. And in the last minutes of his life, Jesus wants them to understand, and he wants us to understand that he is fulfilling his purpose. He is the Messiah. He is not a victim. Let Psalm 22 help you connect the dots. This isn't the end of the story. The cross is a rescue. But wait a minute. Everybody knows that the Messiah should be defeating the Romans, not dying at their hands. And if Jesus would just come down from the cross, as they said, then they would have a reason to believe in him. But the writer of our gospel, Mark, says, oh, no, 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 no. Because he is the king of the Jews, he must stay on the cross because that is what a mighty Messiah does. That is how the kingdom comes. That is when daring disciples are born. And at the foot of the cross that day, the most unlikely person began a journey with Jesus as a daring disciple. It starts in verse 35, 36. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to Jesus on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. So they're still on this Elijah thing. And then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Access to God has now been opened to everyone. When the Roman officer who stood facing Jesus saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Everyone heard it. Everyone heard someone say, this man truly was the Son of God. It wasn't one of the religious leaders like one of the Jewish priests. It wasn't one of the original 12 closest friends of Jesus. No. These words came from the mouth of a battle-hardened thug a Roman officer who kills people like one might kill flies. And as he stood in front of this young Jewish dying man, Jesus, the Roman officer says something that sends a signal around the world to this day that God's kingdom has come. This Roman officer who had just helped others torture and crucify Jesus is the first person in Mark's gospel to claim that Jesus is God's son after all and mean it. 
And Mark is trying to point out to us that if a Roman soldier with the blood of Jesus on his very hands can claim that Jesus is God's son, then why not others? Like me. Like you. Like the Apostle Paul, who would come later. Just a few years later, Paul said this, daringly, I have decided, I've made a decision. I'm going to live my life consumed and focused on what Jesus did for me on the cross. Because Paul had lived his life consumed and focused with his self-effort. He was a bright, brilliant man, a road Scholar kind of guy. He knew the law as a good Jew, as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He wanted to get it just right, but it failed him in the end. So he says, I have decided. In fact, let's look at exactly what he said to people living in Corinth. He said, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. In other words, I want my life to be lived as though I'm standing at the foot of the cross. Because at the foot of the cross, there's no room for self-effort. At the foot of the cross, there's nothing we can do except receive the undeserved gift of Jesus' love and forgiveness. At the foot of the cross is where we learn to be more consumed with Jesus' love for us than our love for him and trying to get that right because it's not about loving Jesus with the hope that he'll love us back as a reward. It's about learning to live loved. That is a scandalous kind of love. Scandalous. The sin of the Roman officer was great, but Jesus' love was greater. And we just sang a few moments ago about this kind of scandalous love. You don't know it, but you are actually singing the very last words of a man who lived 150 years ago. He was a member of a headhunting village in India but he became a follower of Jesus. He and his family did, and his faith was so contagious that other villagers became interested, which roused the fury of the village chief. So the village chief, in his anger, called the entire village together and had this family stand in the very center of everyone. And he looked this man right in the eyes and he said, you need to make a decision right now. Either you renounce faith in Jesus 
or I will execute you and your family publicly. And out of his heart came the words that we sang. I have decided to follow Jesus. And he's singing it. Everybody's looking at this man. But he's singing from his heart. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So the chief ordered his henchmen to arrow down the man's two sons. And as the two sons lay dead before this man and his wife, he said, I'm going to ask you again. Your sons are dead. Make a decision right now. Either renounce your faith in Jesus or I will publicly execute your wife. And the man started singing again. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. So the chief had this man's wife arrowed down. The chief said, for God's sake, man, I've killed your family. Make a decision. Renounce Jesus or I will execute you. He just kept singing. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So the chief had him executed. But then a miracle took place. The chief just broke down and wept. The village was stunned. He was so moved by the faith of this man willing to die for Jesus who had died for him on the cross that the chief, shocking everyone, said, I I want to follow this Jesus. I want to know this kind of love, this kind of forgiveness. I want you to know that the villagers followed suit. To this day, the song, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, is the song of this village. And it became a song as a gift to us. This is scandalous. The chief didn't deserve it, but at the cross, no one gets what they deserve. Instead, instead, we get what we don't deserve, grace, the undeserved love of Jesus, the undeserved forgiveness and new life that he gives us, because grace is not a concept, it's a person. It's Jesus. And the way that we receive grace is by receiving Jesus. The world says we should get what we deserve. But there is no grace 
in the world. If you're looking for grace, it can only be found in Jesus at the cross. And so I know that for all of us, this gives us the chance to do what Paul did, what the Roman soldier did. Are we prepared to say yes? Yes, this is God's son. Are we prepared to say yes, I have decided, I've made a decision. And like the man from India, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. And the way that we do that is that we can just come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to give all that I know of myself to all that I know of you and commit to that every day, giving him ourselves every day as people who live as though we're standing at the foot of the cross, keenly aware every day of what he did for us. I want to invite you now as we go to prayer to join me in praying if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus or recommit your heart to him. So please pray with me now. Father, we know that you want a relationship with us. You want to be close to us, so much so that you let people torture you, so much so that you died an agonizing death on the cross in order to pay for everything that we've done wrong. Lord, you want us in relationship with you that badly. So help us, Father, to have the courage to say, I have decided. So Lord, right now, I just create that silent space for those who want to begin a relationship with you to let you know you can repeat after me and say these words to Jesus. They're simple. Jesus, I have decided to follow you, to be yours, to be in relationship with you. No turning back. No turning back. And for those of us who want to live as though we're standing at the foot of the cross, consumed by what you've done for us every day, living our lives from that vantage point, help us then today, tomorrow, and the next day to give ourselves wholly to you because you gave everything to us, because you came not to be served, but to serve and give your life as a ransom for each and every one of us. In your holy and beautiful name we pray. Amen. Friends, as we sing these last words, I want you to stand and let them sink into your heart, claiming them as your statement of faith to Jesus. And after the song, you are free to leave without ushers. I was buried beneath
Great week and we'll see you again.